Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by staff reporters Max Madden, Jack Harris, and for the very first time, Mason Kern, as well as site publisher Chris Cartman. Guys, how are we doing today? Hey, Mason. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I'm doing great, Rob. Thanks for asking. It's uh, The weather is really cool. It's about 65 degrees. I think Chris tweeted about it today. Uh, but I, I am wary of the traffic concerns um, on Thursday headed to the game. I can't wait to sit in traffic on the way. Max gets like super perky when the weather cools down. <laughs> oh, it's like home. <laughs> Max is from Seattle for the people that, d- that didn't know that. Jack, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I have to wear a jacket today, which makes me just feel like I'm wearing a jacket. I I'm know. very sorry for your uh, deep loss. So this episode is being taped on Tuesday, October 16th, ahead of Arizona State's game against David Shaw Stanford team. This game will be at Sun Devil Stadium. The kickoff set for 6 p.m. and it will be televised on ESPN. Both teams are coming off of losses before having a bye week on this podcast, though. We're going to give you a full preview of what to expect from Stanford's offense and defense. What's the significance of this game? What to expect from the Pac-12 in Week 8 in our weekly Pac-12 picks? Chris is 6-0 against the spread. I don't know how many times we've mentioned that this year. 6-0 for ASU games against the spread. Um, and because of the bye week, we're actually going to give you guys a taste of what happens on the member-only podcast each Thursday. If you like this detailed, comprehensive preview uh, that we do uh, each week, think about subscribing to our member-only podcast and, and getting all of our member-only content where you can hear this podcast and hear some of the things that we do that is uh, a little more special than some of the stuff that is free on the website. But before we get into this week and the matchup against Stanford, ASU landed a four-star cornerback recruit today in Jordan Clark. Chris, you were one of the first people yesterday to project Clark deciding on ASU over Cal, among others. What does this signing do for this class? Well, he, he's a, a cornerback who's sort of in the mold of a Kobe Williams. The ASU fans will know Williams is a little bit of an undersized guy, um, good multi-directional ability as an athlete. Uh, he has a good mind for the game of football, and he's tough for somebody who, who's a little bit of a smaller type of a corner. Just was moved up into a four-star in the 24-7 sports composite, which is uh, a, a, an industry average. Uh, of the various recruiting sites that are out there. And ASU needs probably three guys who can play cornerback in this class, Rob. This is just the first, so mm-hmm. so it, it was important in that regard also. Um, you have some other guys that are out there that are that are highly coveted, but this is one of the, the top positions of need for the Sun Devils. So it is a good get, uh, all things considered. And a quick note before we move on to ASU and how, how they were doing in practice this week, you made some crystal ball projections yesterday. Uh, what were some of those, Chris? Yeah, I'm not going to reveal my crystal ball projections because they're they're uh, something that we do for our members. What I would say, Rob, is that um, since we transitioned from Scout to 24/7 last year, I've uh, put in over 20 crystal ball projections. There are five now that are still pending, and every other projection that I made from last class and then this 2019 class. Um, each one of those guys has ended up committing to ASU. So, I, I, so you have 100% yeah. success rate. Yeah, well, the, but the key thing, though, is that I, I don't do it. I don't put in a crystal ball projection unless it, it's, you know, virtual lock that the kid's going to end up at, at ASU. Now, in, in recruiting, nothing is absolutely a lock. It's sometimes 
you have kids that are committed to multiple places at the same time silently uh, or they get offers that, that, are, that, are, that come later that mm-hmm. change their, their opinions or whatever. But look, the key thing that for, for people to know in the takeaway to this is that if you want to be ahead of the curve on what's going to happen in ASU football recruiting, uh, you got to be on Son of a Source because mm-hmm. you know we have five more guys. We put in the Clark projection um, before anybody else, as he said, and there's there's five more that we have pending, including um, some other, a couple other four stars. Mm-hmm. So moving on to some quick news and notes from ASU practice. ASU practice on Monday was the only practice open to the media. Senior quarterback Manny Wilkins returned to practice this week after getting last week off to rest his body. Junior receiver Nikhil Harry also returned to practice after getting the bye week off, though he didn't participate in 11-on-11 drills. During warm-ups, Harry was appeared, he appeared to be moving around fine. Uh, Warm-ups in the stretch line. Senior linebacker J.J. Wilson remained out of practice, although he was in uniform. He wasn't wearing pads and only went through conditioning drills. Jack and I were talking to him yesterday, and he said he didn't think he would play this week against Stanford, that he just keeps going to treatment and trying to see when his body gets right. Um, And then staying with the linebackers, junior Malik Lawal returned to practice in a limited fashion, going through positional work but not performing on on 11-11 action. Senior offensive lineman Casey Tucker was another limited participant in practice. Tucker didn't participate in practice last week, though he was able to play in ASU's game at Colorado. He took part in positional drills, but not 11-on-11 drills. And junior offensive lineman Roy Hemsley took his place in those. Guys, how how good has Tucker been since moving to guard after or before the Washington game? Yeah, I asked uh, Dave Christensen about this this week. Um, obviously, they didn't bring him in to play guard. Um, but what he does is he adds a lot of size and physicality to a spot where they were lacking it coming into this year because they lost Sam Jones, who was a, such a good player for them at that left guard position last year. He moves pretty well for a guy that big. Um, and it's been a pretty natural fit as they've gone to more of these gap schemes where you, where you have guys like him pulling around the line and doing, doing different stuff like that. Um, you know, on his part, he didn't speak this week ahead of the Stanford game, but in, in recent weeks he said that, you know, it's a transition that he's been fine with. He's enjoyed playing there. Um, and again, for, uh, it was go- that was going to be the weakest spot on ASU's line. It was the biggest question mark coming into the season, and he's added a lot of stability there. On top of that, Zach Robertson has played pretty well at left tackle too, which has kind of enabled this to happen as well. Yeah, I agree. I think the most important part for Tucker switching has been his, like Jack mentioned, his his comfortability with being able to do that, and also Zach Robertson being able to fill in a tackle, which is not obviously the easiest position. So he's been a big he's been a big uh, you know boost to this ASU run game. Uh, and should should continue to improve as the season moves forward. Yeah, kind of going off that, I mean, I thought he was pretty serviceable at left tackle, but now that that transition to guard has really g- given this ASU run game uh, some more legs. Uh, like Jack said, that physicality really helped open up some more holes uh, for Eno Benjamin and, and allowed ASU to have some pretty good run success. And as was the case last week, junior offensive lineman Alex Lasoya was the first team right guard taking snaps ahead of fellow junior lineman Stephen Miller, who repped with the second team. Chris, I know you have some thoughts on this, uh, just because Miller, you think, has been doing pretty well lately. What do you think we see in terms of those two and their usage against Stanford? Well, they've definitely rotated since uh, they've looked at this move with with Tucker going to left guard. Ultimately, I think offenses want to get the biggest, strongest, most athletic, longest 
offensive line combination of five guys. And so they were trying to figure out how they do that in consideration of the move that they went uh, to more of the gap scheme type runs. Casey Tucker has a lot of experience doing that at Stanford as a pulling type of a guy. And um, so I think moving him inside sort of enabled that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lasoya is the lightest, more smaller, more mobile guy out of that group. And that's more um, something that you would see with a lot of zone blocking where you want to really get out and get range blocks and and be running and and whatnot. Um, That's why it's sort of been, you know, surprising. But at the same time, if you have that right guard, somebody that you really need to be able to get uh, um, in in space, mm-hmm. you know, coming around right. guys, pulling mm-hmm. and running to the edge. That's something else that you need somebody who has that type of mobility. I just mm-hmm. think that the the totality of what you get from Steve Miller is probably a little bit better. Certainly, you have more upside with Steve Miller. He's a bigger, longer kid who also can get out and run. Uh, he's been a good in, in pass pro. I think you have to when you have a smaller guy, you have to worry about that immediate physical contact. A game like this against Stanford, even though they're diminished. Uh, to some degree this year versus what they've been in the past at the point of attack along the defensive line. I think that could be an issue. So I'm curious to see how they distribute those reps. And the one thing I'd add to this is Dave Christensen has been high on Alex Asoya going all the way back to the spring ball. Um, he, he's talked a lot about the physicality that he sees Lasoya play with. Now I'm kind of in agreement with Chris that sometimes Lasoya does get overrun. It happened in the second half against Colorado a few times. Um, but he, he's got the offensive line coach behind him, uh, I think, which is playing into this and kind of the playing time as well a little bit. Well, the thing about Lasoya is even though he's not big, he has the right type of a uh, uh, um, mindset, right? He's somebody that likes to finish blocks. He's physical at the point of contact. Uh, and I think, I, think, I think that works in his favor, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's when you get him running and moving and ahead of steam before he makes blocks. And he has also a good ability to see and understand, okay, I, I, I'm anticipating this block and here's how I have to sort of orientate my body mm-hmm. and break down in advance of it or accelerate through it or whatever the case may be. I think, I think that's also something that works in his favor. But uh, again, it, it, there's, there's trade-offs to, to it that are, are kind of at a, a more uh, granular level of kind of how, right. you, how you evaluate it. Junior defensive lineman George Lee took a handful of reps during 11-on-11 team period drills. Um, At defensive end on Monday, that's something he hasn't done much. Jack, I know you got to talk to coach, uh, defensive line coach Sean Nua a little bit about that yesterday. What did he have to say? Yeah, he pointed out that uh, George Lee has that same kind of quickness, even for a big guy that, you know, Shannon Foreman has, we've talked about before. And and even though he's he's a bigger, you know, tackle by nature, he's he could be able to play out on the defensive end. Um, the way Newell put it, if they do play him more at end, it's because they want DJ Davidson getting more reps at tackle. Um, you know, obviously we talked about how how promising of a prospect Davidson can be, especially at this nose tackle spot with his size and athleticism to go along with it. Um, he's played more as the season's gone on, and I think you can you can expect to see that. And this is a good way to keep Lee on the field and mm-hmm. in a position at defensive end where ASU has struggled at times this year. Yeah, only one and a half sacks from their defensive ends combined this season. So we're going to move on to the Stanford deep dive. Jack wrote this week's first look on Stanford. It's on our homepage right now on sundevilsource.com. Check that piece out. Nice job, Jack. And Rob added a video on it this week. 
everyone can enjoy. Yeah, it was it was kind of a weird week with the bye week, but we got to talk to some players yesterday, so it was nice to get to put video element with that. Uh, Stanford comes into this game at four and two, two and one in the conference. The team is tied for second in the Pac-12 North, uh, along with Washington State and Oregon. Stanford beat Oregon, so holds the tiebreaker there. They beat Oregon in Eugene. Stanford is coached by David Shaw, who is currently in his eighth year coaching the Cardinal after taking over for Jim Harbaugh back in 2010-2011. Uh, Shaw's record as head coach is 77-24, and 51-15 in Pac-12 play in his time. In his five previous seasons, in, in five of his previous seven seasons, Stanford has either solely won or tied as the Pac-12 North champion. The last meeting, Stanford defeated ASU in Palo Alto. In 2017, 34-24 behind running back Bryce Love's historic day in which he set Stanford's single-game rushing record with 307 yards on the ground. He had three touchdowns in that game. What do you guys remember about that that game? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, re- you mentioned it, Rob. I think that that was one of Bryce Love's best games ever uh, in, in college. I think that you saw his patience really develop uh, in that game and just ran all over ASU. And ASU's offensive production was kind of strange in that game. Uh, Demario Richard ran something like 22, 23 times for about 85 yards. Uh, Manny perfect, Wilkins, <laughs> Manny Wilkins didn't uh, didn't throw a touchdown pass. He threw a couple of picks. Uh, you know, six points for ASU's offense came from that to kill Harry touchdown pass. So they didn't play especially well um, offensively, and they couldn't really stop Bryce Love. Um, you know, not a lot of teams could stop Bryce Love's last last year. I think he had 12 games with over 100 yards, including their bowl game in the, in the Alamo Bowl, but. You know, this this time around is going to be very different. We'll get into the reasons why, but Stanford definitely isn't the team that they were last year. Now, I this was before this game was before my time working at Sun Devil Source, and uh, my knowledge on football probably wasn't as uh, as good as it is now working uh, for Chris. But I think that that having watched that game, watching what Bryce Love did to to that ASU defense, it, it's something that they obviously didn't want. And as as a just a fan. At the time, it it was pretty pretty easy to see that he was getting whatever he wanted, uh, running all over the ASU defense. So it, it definitely wasn't the best performance, and uh, they'll be looking to to try and c- contain him in this week. I remember that was the game that Manny Wilkins had his long uh, interceptionless streak broken. Um, and if you think about that game, for everything that Bryce Love did, ASU was always kind of within striking distance. They really were. And it was those it were those. I think he had two interceptions on the day. Those were kind of the big turning point moments in that game that kind of kept ASU from, from coming all the way back, um, which is something that is going to be important in this year's game. And ASU is leading the FBS in you know, fewest turnovers committed offensively. Um, and I think that game's a good example of, yeah, they really struggled you know, stopping Bryce Love on the ground. But even despite that, he had like over 300 yards. It was his only 300-yard game of the season last year. The Sun Devils were there, and, and Stanford isn't a team that's going to put a lot of other teams away. I would expect another close game like it, and things like you know interceptions or turnovers, if they happen, could be a deciding factor again. So Bryce Love went over 300 yards in that game last year uh, against ASU. Key thing to, to think about is he had 25 carries. Three of the carries totaled over 150 yards. Three carries over half of his yards, okay? So... 22 carries, 150 yards. Okay, that's that's you know not a great performance by by ASU, but what happens is, he, and Stanford is is great at getting these plays to break right through the heart of your defense. Yeah. Uh, so the key thing in this game is that redundancy through the middle of your defense. If he does play, and, and if he is, 
anywhere near his, his normal capability. Sometimes they have the ability, uh, he's dynamic enough, of course, to, to break you off the edge or see the cutback lanes and all that stuff. So you have to be really sound. But it, it's, it's, it's the most dangerous plays are ones in which he's coming straight at you downhill and linebackers have to make sure that they're not out of position. Right, and uh, that was the first road game I actually covered for Sun Devil Source for Chris, actually, and I wrote a piece about the offensive identity of Arizona State back then, and it's far different now, obviously, with Billy Napier last season, now with Rob Likens, uh, but I remember that was a game in which ASU used the Sparky formation a lot to try to trick up the Stanford defense. Which is what led to the Nikhil Harry touchdown pass. Exactly, to C.J. French love who is moving on from the program. Um, but we're going to move back into Stanford for this year. Stanford comes into this game at 4-2 and after starting the season 4-0 and reaching a high ranking of number 7 in the nation. The Cardinal lost back-to-back games against Notre Dame on the road and Utah at home, giving up 40 points against Utah at home. And, and both losses came by double digits. Stanford beat then number 17 USC in Week 2. Stanford somehow came back to defeat the Oregon Ducks when the team was down 24-7 going into halftime, won 38-31 in overtime. At one point, ESPN's uh, you know winning percentage had the Ducks at 98.7% before Stanford came back in that game. And to put into context how Stanford has really done against some of the teams ASU has faced, the teams have only shared one match, and that is San Diego State. Stanford handily defeated San Diego State 31-10, to although it was a closer game than the score reveals. It was a very close game even through the third quarter, um, and the Aztecs did obviously beat Arizona State 28-21. to Senior running back Bryce Love has been sidelined for most of the year, battling several injuries, including one being a, an ankle injury. The opening line for this game is Stanford is favored by two and a half points on the road, according to Vegas Insiders. That is their report as of Tuesday. Guys, what are some of your initial thoughts on this Stanford team? Yeah, this, this Stanford offense and overall team is, is not what it has been in recent years, as I mentioned. I think in the last three games, Stanford has allowed at least 31 points um, on, on defense and a bigger problem for for Stanford offensively is David Shaw said after the game, uh, you know, last week that he wants to run the ball, and that has not been a strength of this team this season. Uh, uh, the Cardinal are 11th of 12th in the Pac-12 in in rushing yards this season, and last season they had 12 games with a 100-yard rusher. Of course, they were all Bryce Love. This season they have just one when Love was healthy, and he is questionable with an ankle injury. David Shaw that he said recently that he is less confident than he was last week that he was going to play. And so that doesn't bode well for Stanford. Um, Offensively? If it's true. Right, sure. David Shaw is like famous for playing games. ASU's coaches are fully expecting Bryce Love to play. But you have... Based on their... Yeah, same. You're going to prepare. You're going to prepare that way. (laughs) Tell your team that regardless. Yeah. And and there are obviously some other pieces on this offense that are intriguing. Uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside... Um, has multiple touchdowns in three different games. He's averaging 90 yard, yards a game. Of course, he had 226 yards and three touchdowns against a pretty good secondary in San Diego State. Uh, a couple really good tight ends. But, you know, Stanford's going to have to improvise, I think, in this game and be able to keep up with ASU, who's probably going to run the ball really well because Stanford's defense is not very good. Now, also, I mean, like Max said, the, the running game really hasn't been a strong suit for this this Stanford team this season, which is is really different from from this from Stanford in years past. But what I've noticed is they really do a good job getting uh, and utilizing their tight ends. Uh, uh, the their tight ends do a really good job at putting up offensive production for this Stanford team. So you can expect them to be a great part of the offense and. Uh, the running game, if Bryce Love is healthy and does play, uh, you'll expect the Sun Devils to try and contain him. The one thing I'd point out is 
Stanford's played a lot of really tough defenses. Like when we talk about them struggling against the run, they had to play San Diego State. They were trailing Oregon most of that game, so they couldn't run it. Notre Dame and Utah are good defenses as well. Um, And we've seen ASU struggle against teams that can run the ball. Uh, Stanford's offensive line was a little banged up early in the year. They're a little healthier now if Bryce Love is healthy. I know they're struggling this year, but I'm going into this game expecting them to probably be able to average at least four yards of carry, like what you saw them do against USC. Um, I I just don't think ASU is going to – shut them down on the ground kind of like what ASU did to Michigan State I just that seems pretty unlikely to me so a few things here there's a a significant reduction in the capability of Stanford's offensive and defensive lines versus years past Mm -hmm. Stanford recognizes this reality by the fact that they've played four different combinations of players in, in their starting lineup along their offensive front. I watched Notre Dame and Utah very carefully, Stanford's most recent two games. Notre Dame gave Stanford fits with its athleticism on the left side of the line, left tackle, left guard, and then also at right tackle uh, with speed. And then Utah gave Stanford a lot of problems with its physicality at the point of attack. Um, so I, I think David Shaw's not used to, to, to playing with this type of a team. He's not, he's not really comfortable with, with this type of team. They've reshuffled. Of course, they do have KJ Costello, and he's a, a, a better passer than they've had in, in maybe recent years, or at least the potential's there. They have some big body receivers that they can post you up in the end zone. And then they have Trent Irwin, who's a technician of a route runner. On the other side, um, trivia question, mid-podcast, Rob. Who's my favorite recent Stanford defensive player? Ooh, uh, it was one of the cornerbacks, was Solomon it? Solomon Thomas. Oh, Solomon Thomas. <laughs> How do you not know that? We, you're the one that talks to me about him all the time. Yeah, I, I am. The, I'm a big 49ers fan, so I talk to Chris about what he thinks about so, Solomon so, Thomas. So the what I, reason I ask that is because the, the Stanford doesn't have a guy up front defensively who is even remotely close to a Solomon Thomas type of a player, okay? And Stanford has had those types of guys, defensive tackles and ends, historically, over the years, very, very consistently. Harrison mm-hmm. Phillips last year was huge. Correct. I mean, you go all that's, the way that's back. That's who I first thought you were going with there. And Camudofia, who was a, out of Arizona years ago, that's kind of started this long trend of guys. So they don't, they don't have that. Mm-hmm. And so what you don't see is that ability to punish you uh, at the point of attack and it's given opponents more time to get into their run blocking. And it's also given the quarterbacks more time in order to, to, beat, to beat you. And then even though they're good in the secondary, they're not quite as good probably as they've been in the past. Their strength, right. of, their, their strength of their team are really their receiving core, pretty good quarterback, and good linebackers. And some good tight ends, too, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, this program under David Shaw has been known, though, as everybody's mentioned, for being this ground-and-pound running team, even while college football seems to mostly m- being moved toward these spread offenses, throwing the ball close to 50 times a game. In, in terms of love, though, the, the senior was given the best preseason Heisman odds in the country after a slow start against San Diego State with just 29 rushing yards. Love has registered only one 100-yard rushing game this season. That was against USC. 
He missed uh, Stanford's Week 3 victory over UC Davis with an injury, and after being held to fewer than 20 carries and less than 100 yards against Oregon and Notre Dame, Love was sidelined for the team's uh, loss to Utah with an ankle injury uh, that he picked up in the second half of Notre Dame's game. Um, Through four games last year, he had 787 rushing yards and five touchdowns to this point. In his, open, in, in his opening half of this year, though, he has just 327 rush yards and three touchdowns. Um, is it fair to say that as he goes, Stanford goes? Um, I mean, they've been able to win some games this year without him being great. The Oregon game is probably the best example of that. Um, they were able to beat San Diego State without a ton of production on the ground. Uh, but, I mean, they're a much better team when he is running well. I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's been a lot harder for them to control the pace of games the way they want. They're actually averaging less time of possession than their opponents this year, which is not a a principle of the Stanford style of play, if you will. Um, So while I don't know if it's that black and white, they're they're obviously a much better team when he's playing well, and it's much harder for them to do what they want to when they're not getting that production on the ground. Yeah, and I think Chris made a good point is that KJ Costello is a better quarterback than they've had in the past in terms of being able to pass the ball. And there are a lot of weapons on the – in the Stanford receiving core. Uh, the Stanford has five receivers that are 6'2 or taller that are consistently involved in the offense, including a couple of tight ends and Caden Smith and Colby Parkinson, who are bo- both at least 6'5". Um, and so Stanford definitely has the edge there in, in terms of personnel, the receiving core, and size. And so I think that if, if KJ Costello can make up for maybe Bryce Love not being able to play very well, um, or you know Trevor Spites, Spates, sorry, you know not being able to play that well, and I think that that's really going to be what makes this offense tick. Rob is, you know, KJ Costello's ability to take advantage of those two tight end sets and his wide receiver advantage. Yeah, I agree with Max because I don't think it's really fair to say as Bryce Love goes, the whole Stanford uh, success goes. But like Jack said, when he is playing well, that they tend to do better, and that that is is pretty obvious considering the the. The production he brings to Stanford's offense, but but like Max said, there are other weapons. The tight ends, like I mentioned earlier, and like Rob said, we're going to get into a little bit. And uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside, and as well as KJ Costello, if he plays well, then I think the Stanford team should be just fine. The backups are are not nearly as good, and, yeah. and I think that's just um, very obvious when you watch them. When Bryce Love's not able to play physically. Um, when you have teams that are relatively evenly match up, matched up, like this game, most people are going to f- pick a, a, a single-digit type of an outcome, right? Probably no more than maybe 10 points right. one way or the other. That's most predictions, right? Well, Bryce Love, what do you guys think he's worth? Is he worth 7 points, 10 points? I think he's worth pretty close to 10 points, so, personally. Right, so that's the type of thing that in and of itself, all other things being equal, can change a, a, a forecast of a game between ASU and Stanford, especially a game a game that's in Tempe. And, and this team, the Stanford team, has been known for running the ball effectively since 2011 when Shaw took over. And Stanford has averaged at least 200 yards rushing per game in five of those seven seasons, and never averaged fewer than 159 uh, a contest uh, in any of the years that Shaw has been the head coach. This year, Stanford's only averaging 86 yards per game on the ground. That's the fourth worst in the nation. How much do you think the offensive line and the inconsistencies that we've already talked about is contributing to this issue? Yeah, I pretty much highlighted it. And and certainly Stanford's had a difficult schedule. I mean, probably one of the toughest schedules in the country in terms of their ability to run the football successfully. Notre Dame, USC, Utah, somebody I'm missing, Oregon. I said Notre Dame. 
but that's okay. Um, so <laughs> I don't listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but but and then when you're and then when you're moving your offensive line pieces around to try to figure it out, and you got an injured Bryce Love, it's just very atypical. That's I think that's the best way to look at it. And we're going to move into a defensive breakdown. Lance Anderson leads this defense. He's in his fifth year as defensive coordinator, and the Stanford team operates out of a three-four scheme. After seven straight seasons of allowing fewer than 400 yards per game, the second longest streak in the Pac-12 only to Utah, Stanford took a step back in 2017 by allowing over 400 yards and 22.7 points per game. Those were both the worst marks in David Shaw's time with the program. Even though the unit is returning six starters from last year, this trend of regression has continued as Stanford is allowing another season of over 400 yards and 22 points per game over the first half so far of this season. Um, before we get into the, some of the key players on defense, Jack, why do you think this unit has struggled this year? Uh, they've been bad at the point of attack. Um, you know, this defensive line only returned one starter from last year. None of the guys up there have more than 25 tackles right now. And in the way Stanford plays normally, you get a lot of production from those positions. So that's been the biggest difference. Chris mentioned earlier their linebackers are still pretty good. Those two middle linebackers they have make a lot of tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're not getting – those impact players up front, especially with this defense that has relied on it, uh, it's going to make a difference. And it takes away a lot of those negative plays and allows teams to run the ball uh, and all those things that happen when, when that's the case. And guys, who are some of those key players uh, on defense that, that Jack was alluding to? Well, so here's what I would say. They, they, they don't, they're not playing in the backfield anywhere near as much as they have in the past with their front. And so Dylan Jackson's a guy who's played a decent amount there. Um, and they have they kind of rotate other players. Jovan Swan is another guy, but but their linebackers make a lot of plays, and they right. need their their linebackers to make a lot of plays within this scheme of what they do. Um, they're really in the run fits. They're they're not trying to play, you know, to have guys flashing through the gaps and getting to the line of scrimmage consistently. Sometimes they'll do that. But more often what they're trying to do is is, is they're going to allow a release of the center and and one of the linebackers maybe get picked off by the center or the center will, will, will come down because they don't have somebody in the A-gap because they're playing a lot of two-gapping over the guards. And But one of the linebackers is usually going to be free to come up and make a play, and that's what they need to have happen. Really, it's, it's, it's between... Bobby, uh, Bobby Okereke, and um, and then um, number twenty-seven, Sean Barton. Those those two guys are really really good players. Uh, um, Barton is a, is a is a much better athlete than I think he gets credit for, and Okereke is a senior who's been doing it for a really long time successfully at Stanford. And Sanford's secondary has been banged up for much of 2018 and ranks just 85th in the nation in pass defense and allowing opponents to complete over 62% of its passes. What are some of the injuries, Max, that has caused Stanford's secondary to be more thin? Uh, well, I just I do want to mention that the correct pronunciation is OK Ray K. Uh, I guess it's something that he tweeted out. Uh, he tweeted out the pronunciation. No, yeah. no, no, even like the the television people are getting that wrong, which is what I've been just been listening. Well, because you type it into Google and then he just tweeted it, I guess, a few times. Um, but Rob, you have mentioned the the secondary has been banged up, and that really doesn't help Stanford because they haven't been able to limit the passing game that much of of other teams. But man, that really opens up the run game. As as Chris mentioned, uh, Bobby Okereke, 
uh, is probably the best defender on that team, probably leads the linebacker core, and he has had to make a lot of plays because the defensive line isn't generating a lot of pressure, and that's leading to a ton of rushing yards for opponents. If you look at the rush yards allowed in the last three games that Stanford has played, it's 346 against Oregon, 278 against Notre Dame, and then 199 against Utah. That's not going to get it done, and that's especially not going to get it done the way that Eno Benjamin and this ASU offensive line is getting production. Yeah. We're going to move to keys to the games now. Uh, guys, Jack, we'll start with you. Uh, what are your keys to this game? For ASU, they're going to have to run the ball. Um, that's how other teams have had success against Stanford. Uh, when ASU's been at their best in Pac-12 play, it's because they've, they've found a consistent running game. Uh, the opportunity is going to be there, I think, for ASU's offensive line to get some push up front, to create some holes for you know, Benjamin. Um, it's been like the linchpin for ASU's offense this year. Like the second half against Colorado, they, they Colorado made some adjustments. ASU couldn't adjust themselves. They, they stopped running the ball well. They went to like having two yards per carry on first and second down in the second half of that game. And once that happens, their offense stalls. So if they can run the ball, I think they can stay in the game. Turnovers are obviously going to be huge. Um, defensively, how they cover the tight ends, that's going to be a question mark because this is a different – these are different weapons than they've faced, and I think it's pretty easy to see how you know guys that big can can really break down a zone, you know, some zone coverages. Um, but if AC runs the ball and they're able to control the clock like some teams have been able to against the Cardinal, I think they're going to have a chance at the end to make plays to win the game. I also think it's going to be really important for Manny Wilkins, the ASU senior quarterback, to get into a groove early considering he, he did pick up a, a slight or got awkwardly twisted up in that Colorado game. So for him to get going early, have some success, get, get that confidence back, I think that's going to be really important for, for the passing game as well. And I, I would like to insert a correction, actually. Those were the passing totals that I, that I just gave out, but the rushing totals are also bad. 178 <laughs> against Oregon, 272 against Notre Dame and 222 against Utah. So better, but, you know, marginally. So my keys to the game reflect where ASU struggled against Stanford in, in for a number of years, as, as Sun Devil fans are very well aware. Uh, it, it's, it's winning at the point of attack. This is, the, this is the ripest that a Stanford team has been coming into ASU in recent memory uh, because it doesn't have that ability to impact you at the line of scrimmage in the way that teams have in the past, okay? But one more thing that I want to talk about is, as, as being really key in this game. Stanford has a tendency, if the game opens up and becomes more of a passing game because Stanford's relying on its own pass more, so games can kind of lose their form a little bit more mm -hmm. with, with Stanford this year than they have in the past, which they don't like. Their zone coverages, they've had a tendency to be kind of relaxed and allow allow – uh, good route structures to be able to beat them and, and get between these zones. And then the other thing that I would say is coming out of a bye, it's really important that uh, there's a chess match to this. And it's really important that ASU be the team that's better at figuring out how to come up with some unexpected plays. I call them back pocket plays that are not what Stanford has ever seen before in some key situations when you need a fourth down conversion, when you need to score in the red zone. I think those things are, are very capable of deciding this game. Uh, for case of the game for myself, I'm going to put it as I think ASU needs to put a lot of pressure on the passing game on KJ Costello. I think Stanford's going to be able to rush the ball fairly well. As Jack said, I think four yards per carry is about what Stanford will be able to do, maybe even a little more than that. And I also think ASU's third down defense. It's been very bad in that area so far for much of the year. I think that is going to be an important 
position for ASU to improve on, especially in this game. I really like those two things that you just said there. I, I absolutely agree. Uh, there's opportunities to get to and impact Costello. And also he tends to be inaccurate when he doesn't get his feet set the way he wants to. And even sometimes when he's not, and if those balls are off, there's opportunities to get takeaways in this game. Uh, Danny Gonzalez, as you know, has, has said, we should have had, we should have more interceptions by this point in the season. Right. This is a, an opportunity to win the turnover margin in that mm-hmm. kind of a way. Stanford has also been bad on third down going into your yeah, point. They have. They're only 33% on the year. And we're going to move into a quick ASU injury report. How does the injury? How do how do ASU's injuries look ahead of this matchup? Right. So the main thing that we're watching here is Nikhil Harry. I would say, um, Herm Edwards said that he practiced some on Monday. We did not see him practice in any position work or eleven on eleven in the media observation portion of that practice, which is the first. 30 to 40 minutes or so, okay? Now, if Nikhil Harry did not practice yesterday, and then let's say he doesn't practice today, is Herm Edwards going to allow Nikhil Harry to play without having practiced? That's a precedent-setting sort of development that we don't know about with Herm Edwards. Uh, and, and, and Nikhil Harry's the one guy who maybe can get away with not, not right. playing, not practicing, and then playing. Now, Nikhil Harry went through the, the warm-ups he was doing stuff. He was moving around. Hedward said that he expects him to play, so I think he probably will, but it's not, mm-hmm. a, it's not a certainty that he's going to play. Right. J.J. Wilson, there's no way he's going to play. He's not doing anything. Everybody else that has been banged up looks like they're going to be available for ASU. That's Malik Lawal, Casey Tucker, and maybe a couple other guys. And they, the bye week in that regard came at a good time for ASU. I think, I'm sure Manny Wilkins is going to be fine. The key thing is Nikhil Harry because if – you have a uh, Bryce Love who's diminished or maybe not able to go, that can be somewhat equalized, not totally equalized, but somewhat equalized by Nikhil Harry being limited or out of the game. Right. We're going to move into my favorite segment that we do on these these usually Thursday podcasts, Pac-12 picks of the week. We're going to do Pac-12 picks for week eight games this week as all 12 Pac-12 teams are playing. All these spreads are according to Vegas Insiders, latest on October 16th, this Tuesday as we're recording. First game will start Oregon at Washington State. Washington State is favored by two and a half points. Uh, I'm going to take Oregon to win and cover big game in Pullman. Game day's there finally, um, but... Oregon's—they—they they just they have looked really good this year. Uh, I think they'll win. Oregon can't cover because they're—they're they're not favored to win this game. Or Oregon is not favored. Washington State is favored by two and a half points. Yeah. So Oregon's—I'm just saying they're going to win. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Cover. Yes. Okay. Uh, I also have Oregon to win this game. I picked them before the season to win the, the Pac-12 North. And while I am wary of this matchup, <laughs> I think that uh, I think they're going to do it. I'm going to stick to my to my early season pick. I also had uh, selected Oregon to win this game. Oh God! <laughs> this one, this one is, this one is for me. This one is actually quite, quite tough. But I, I'm going to go with Oregon also. Okay, so we're all going with Oregon as I am too. Colorado at Washington. Washington is favored by 15 and a half points. That's a lot of points against a pretty good Colorado team. that's five and one. Started at 17. Wasn't ASU a 17 point dog going up to yes. Seattle? Also, 17 and a half point dog. So we we thought. Remember, we thought that that line was too much. I, I, most of us did anyways, I think. Right. And so this line also started out 17, which seemed, you know, a little bit, you know, but then Colorado didn't play well last week. What do you guys think? I, I'm going to take UW to win, Colorado to cover. Did this a couple weeks ago when UW played BYU and Washington blew them out of the water. But I think Colorado is good enough to keep it close. 
Yeah, I think Colorado's a better team than BYU. And I have I have Washington winning this and Colorado covering. Uh, my prediction is the same. Mine is the same as well, Chris. Do you also have this prediction? Yes, I'm going I'm going to rock with the consensus there. Wow, so for the first two games we have identical uh, predictions. Cal at Oregon State. The Bears are favored by six and a half points. I feel like this is the kind of abomination game of the week with two really bad teams squaring off in Corvallis. What do you guys have? I had a lot of fun picking UCLA to win last week when they did. So 37-7. to seven. Give me Oregon State to win their first Pac-12 game in how long? Like two years? Yeah. Give me the Beavers. Uh, Rob, you said that this is the abomination game of the week, but don't forget that UCLA does play Arizona as well this week. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think this is way worse than that, frankly. Uh, in this game, I have Cal. I thought that my take was hot, saying that uh, Cal's going to win and Oregon State is going to cover, but Jack is just on a whole new level. So, Jamar Jefferson, truther. Uh, I have Cal winning this game, and I think they're going to cover. I, I'm going to pick Oregon State to also win this game outright. I like it. Uh, and one more thing, um, a lot of times you, there's, there's, there's over under lines that I think are, are favorable. This is another one of those 58 and a half is the over under. I'm looking for Oregon state to score north of 35 points. Cal will probably be around, around 30 points as well. So I could see like, I could see 70 ish points scored in this game or maybe even more. I like the over. I will say Cal's offense has been anemic recently, so I that's why I think that's kind of an interesting... Oregon State's putrid on defense. Mildew smells better than, than, than the Oregon State defense. Go but, on, boss. But, no, but, but Cal, Cal looked really bad last week defensively, right. and you could... I mean, there's, this is an opportunity. People don't... They don't like going up and playing... At, at Research Stadium and uh, and Cal's, you know, three and five or whatever. So I really, I think there's a lot of points possibly in this one. Okay, I have Oregon State also beating Cal in this game. I don't know if I can ever pick Cal again after last week. They played UCLA, not a good football team, and <laughs> lost 37-7. to I'm going with Oregon State to win this game. Next game is USC at Utah. USC is now the front runner in the Pac-12 South after defeating Colorado pretty handily 31-20 to this past week. Uh, Utah's actually favored in this game, though, by almost a touchdown, six and a half points. What do you guys have in this one? Uh, I'll take USC to to win and cover. I think the Trojans are starting to hit their – stop shaking your head at me. <laughs> I think the Trojans are are hitting their stride at the right time. Um, they have a pretty favorable schedule the, the rest of the way. So, yeah, I like USC to win and therefore cover. I also have the Trojans <laughs> winning and covering in this game. Uh, I third that motion. I am going to take Utah to win, and I'm going to take Utah to cover. Wow. Yes, I think, Utah's, I think Utah is so physical at the point of attack. You, you take Porter Gustin off the field for the Trojans. You put a freshman quarterback in a, in a pretty hostile environment where it's going to be physical. Um, I, think, I think this is going to be like about a 10 10 point to two touchdown win for Utah. I'm actually going to roll with the boss man. I have Utah winning this game. I don't think they cover, though. I think it's a close game, but I do think Utah wins it, so I have Utah winning no cover there. Arizona at UCLA. Max is uh, one of the abominations of the week. Uh, UCLA is favored in this game by a touchdown. This game is at the Rose Bowl. What do you guys have for this one? Uh, no Cleo Tate playing on top of this for Arizona. Don't know how much that 
how much that matters. Wildcats <laughs> been so bad. Uh, yeah, I'll take UCLA. I've been riding them for a couple weeks. So, do you think UCLA is going to cover? Yeah, I do. Uh, so I have UCLA winning, obviously, but I think Arizona is going to cover in this game. I, I understand that Rhett Rodriguez is likely going to start for the Wildcats, but as Jack said, I'm not sure how much of a difference that's going to make. UCLA's defense is not great. Uh, so, like I said, I have the Bruins covering. Uh, sorry, Bruins winning, but the Wildcats covering. By the way, that's that's Rich Rodriguez's son, Rhett Rod- Rod- Rodriguez, there who is go. starting a quarterback. Uh, UCLA beat uh, a pretty lowly team in Cal last week, and I think they'll uh, do it again against Arizona. Are they going to cover, though? Yes. I am taking UCLA to win and cover. I think this could be a blowout. <laughs> I'm like, doing this as well, and I think this is the first game where the UCLA fans are going to be pretty excited about the Chip Kelly era starting. I've got UCLA also winning and covering. Arizona folded like a cheap suit last week, <laughs> and it, it, it was like Houston. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it, it's, it, was, it was bad. Like I, I could see this thing. Chris, you're on fire in this podcast. I, I could see this really turn in in a negative way, and it's also just sort of weird that Arizona's relying on a Rodriguez after firing a Rodriguez. <laughs> I, I I don't know what's happening. Here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move to score predictions. Chris, have you had a cheap suit fold on you before? Uh, I don't buy cheap suits. Yeah, uh, there you, know. you go. Okay. <laughs> Stanford favored by two and a half at Arizona State. 6 p.m. kickoff. It's going to be on ESPN this Thursday. We will all be there reporting on this game. Max, let's start with you. What is your score prediction for this game? Uh, so I have Arizona State winning this game uh, for a lot of the reasons that we mentioned before. Stanford is not the same that they've been in the last few years. And what they're really weak against, which is the run, is what ASU is excelling. So uh, I'm going to say Arizona State wins this game 34-28. I'm also going to take Arizona State in this one. They're undefeated at home this year. They've played really well versus on the road where they haven't really looked uh, that, that good. So coming back at home in Tempe, uh, I predict it's going to be 34-31. I'm going to take Stanford to win. It's going to be a close game. I just ASU late in games, especially in the Pac-12, the last couple of weeks have they've made a lot of mistakes when it's mattered most. I trust Stanford to make fewer mistakes when it matters. Uh, so I'll take the Cardinal to win 27-24. Chris, difficult matchup I think to predict. Um, as you said there, Rob, which I appreciated. I am six and zero, so I'm trying to keep the streak intact. Uh, I'm going to take ASU to win this game by a score of 30 to 27. Uh, very difficult. Again, to, I don't. I'm not. I don't have a good feel for it. You have the Bryce Love situation. My my caveat to this is I'm assuming that if Bryce Love plays, he's not going to be near 100. percent And I think that alone is probably the difference in in this game. And then also ASU sort of due to to win a close one. It, it just seems like that's kind of you know. Okay, so I've got the most lopsided score here. I have Stanford winning thirty-three to twenty-four. I, I, I think that that Stanford is just such a solid team under David Shaw. And I know there's extenuating circumstances for this game that are different with the Bryce Love situation, but KJ Costello has looked really good. And I just think with with a bye and getting absolutely blown out essentially by Utah at home is going to motivate the Stanford team. And I just think they're on a different level in terms of being disciplined and, and understanding their schemes more than. Arizona State does with a brand new offensive coordinator and a brand new defensive coordinator, even though Likens was with the program uh, in a smaller capacity last year. So I have Stanford winning this game 33-24. That's going to conclude 
this edition, though, of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. And like I said at the beginning, this is normally what we do for our Thursday member-only podcast. So tune into those, subscribe to those, and, and we really encourage you to do that because we have a lot of great thoughts on those as well. But right now, for staff reporters Jack Harris, Max Madden, and Mason Kern for the first time, as well as site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Rob Werner, saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.